It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Steelers Now pregame scout. I'm your host, Matt Geico, alongside SteelersNow.com analyst Derek Bell. As less than a week after redefining the term winning ugly, your Pittsburgh Steelers are back on the field making their Vegas debut. How about that? Something new in this half-century rivalry against the Raiders. It'll be on Sunday night, 8 p.m.-ish Eastern time. So another nationally televised primetime game. Uh, Derek, are the Steelers ready for prime time, though, in the uh, metaphorical sense, based on what we've seen in the first two games? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure the non-Steelers Raiders fans are going to be too excited about watching this uh, this game on Sunday Night Football, especially after they had to endure that really ugly Steelers-Browns game just last week in prime time. But hopefully the Steelers can have um, you know more effectiveness, I guess, or a better... Uh, win percentage in Vegas than they did in Oakland. That's that's the <laughs> only thing we're uh, we're really shooting for here. Yeah, that's true. The old Coliseum wasn't very good to the Steelers, so we'll see how Allegiant Stadium, the Death Star on the Strip, <laughs> treats them on uh, this trip out west. The Steelers made history last week. I don't know if anyone out there is aware, but they became the first team in NFL history to win a game when their offense didn't run a single play inside the opponent's 30-yard line. Two defensive touchdowns. Actually, the Steelers... Uh, for the first time in their history as well, 
scored a defensive touchdown on the first snap of the game. So they have that going for them, uh, which is nice. Also, Chris Boswell nailed a couple of 50-plus yard field goals. Uh, More on that a little bit later. But uh, as we go into first down here, uh, Derek, it it was a truly offensive performance. And uh, I don't think anyone will disagree for the second consecutive week. For the, the Pittsburgh Steelers attack, I'd, I'd say it was hard to get worse than what they did against the Niners. I know they won against the Browns on Monday night, but uh, through two games, the Steelers offense is averaging 19 yards per drive, eight offensive points per game. Both of those are worse in the NFL. And if you like the advanced metrics, they're dead last in expected points per play. But more than that, just looking at it through the eye test, way too many plays look just doomed from the start. So if there is an overarching tactical change to make, is there something that the Steelers could do or could have done during this week to unlock something and at least get closer to league average here for week three? Yeah. I think when you see a unit struggling like this really on all cylinders, you know, they're not passing the ball. Well, they're not running the ball. Well, they're not blocking. Well, Um, there's a lot to really unpack in terms of, all right, how, how do you get this thing on track? Um, but I think the, the it really boils down to kind of a culmination of a lot needing to be a lot better. Um, you know, the Steelers need to be better in terms of, um, you know, play calling, uh, play, play sequencing, if you will. They need to be much, much better up front. I thought that the offensive line really, um, really kind of doomed the running game on Monday night against the Browns. You know, we talked about uh, that Browns uh, front being pretty good. They've uh, put a lot of investments um, in the trenches, but, you know, they really got manhandled. Uh, it was the offensive line. The tight ends didn't block well. The running backs are pretty much getting hit at or behind the line of scrimmage uh, every single play. And then, you know, the quarterback still looks really out of sorts, man. Um, aside from George Pickens uh, making a couple really good plays, uh, Pickett, for the for the most part on the night, really struggled. Uh, you mentioned some of the advanced numbers for the for the offense in general, but as of right now, you know Pickett's thirty uh, second, I think, in EPA per play, and then 29th in success rate. I mean, you're not going to be a good offense when your quarterback's playing like that. Let's dig into that run game a little bit more. Najee Harris, forty three yards, a, a long run of twenty one. So uh, on the nine attempts that weren't that twenty one yarder, he averaged uh, just shy of two yards per carry. I know that's nitpicking a little bit or, um, I guess, cherry-picking some stats, but um, it, it matches up with what we're seeing. There's just a lot of plays that aren't going anywhere and leading the offense in second and third and long. Warren as well, six carries for 20 yards uh, in the game against the Browns. And it just looks like at the point of attack they're getting dominated there. Is there any kind of uh, solution for just getting pushed off the ball uh, maybe the Browns and the Niners are going to be in the top end of defending the run, but uh, this is not what the plan was coming into the season. The Steelers were hoping to um, at least control the line of scrimmage a little bit better than this, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. I think some of it comes down to, um, you know, I think guys are maybe potentially being asked to do things that they're not capable of doing. Like some of the reach blocks that they're expecting Mason Cole to do in space is, in my opinion, unrealistic. Um, but then, you know, you're seeing guys just not execute, not generating any type of push or displacement at the line of scrimmage. You know, that's obviously worrisome. I mean, we talk about guys getting hit in the backfield. I mean, Najee has 69 yards uh, rushing after contact this season. He has 74 total rushing yards. So he has five total yards before contact. Uh, And Jalen Warren's got the same exact split. So it's just when you're asking your running backs to consistently make like, you know, water out of wine, 
uh, or wine out of water, I guess you should say. Uh, but it's just, it's not realistic to think that you're going to be a successful run game. And, you know, even looking forward to this week, um, you know, we got a battle of kind of just the absolute worst run games in the league so far through two weeks. You know, uh, the Steelers have only been successful on 25.9% of their runs and the Vegas Raiders are dead last at 21.6. So, I got a feeling that one of these teams is probably going to break through on, on Sunday night. Uh, we'll see if it's the Steelers or not. Well, let's move on to second down, but we're going to stick with the offense because um, especially Kenny Pickett is not progressing as we had hoped he would in his second year. And of course we will talk more about the play calling and the intricacies, intricacies there with sequencing and, and maybe some ways to get creative. So, um, you noted in your film room post this week on SteelersNow.com, and by the way, go to SteelersNow.com for all of Derek's analysis, and uh, he also posts quite a few tidbits that are teasers, shall we say, on uh, formerly Twitter, now X, so uh, you can see his handle here on the screen in just a second as I'll flash that up, but uh, a lot of breakdowns as usual, Derek, from you. You noted something pretty interesting, uh, at least from my view, as I read it, you explained that play action typically is a nice security blanket, for lack of a better term, for young NFL quarterbacks. It simplifies the process, maybe gives them a, a simpler read, also gives defenders something extra to think about. Uh, but at the same time, you also pointed out that there were a couple moments in the game against the Browns where Matt Canada and the, the Steelers offense got Pickett in a different look himself, maybe gave him something different to look about as uh, look at as he changed his um, – his launch angle or launch spot, as you called it, your, uh, your throwing platform, whatever you want to call it. They got him moving a little bit, maybe artificial movement in a way because he's still, quote unquote, in the pocket. But he's getting a little bit out of that uh, flat footed state and maybe accessing some of that athleticism. So do you think that is a route for Steelers and, uh, and, and Pickett to go down to just try to get him to think a little less and to react a little bit more to what he's seeing? Yeah, I think. You know, play action has often, you know, been referred to as a little bit of a crutch for some young quarterbacks. Uh, like you said, it kind of simplifies the game a little bit. Um, you know, teams will oftentimes, you know, go to these kind of max protection looks where you only basically got, um, you know, two or three guys out in the route. You're only reading half the field. It just simplifies things and allows them to play a little bit faster. And, um, you know, they had some interesting, you know, uh, play action wrinkles out of the shotgun. You know, if you've watched a Matt Canada offense, you know that the play action passing game, uh, leaves a lot to be desired. They don't use it a ton. You know, last year uh, they were in the bottom third of the lead, league in play action. Uh, they're 29th in usage percentage this year already. Um, they just don't use it a ton. But I thought that they did some interesting stuff uh, out of the gun. You know, that big play to George Pickens for the touchdown obviously was significant. Uh, but, you know, his second throw of the day was that one that they did move the launch point and kind of hit Pickens on that sail route to the right side of the field. Um, a really good throw. He, uh, he threw it back shoulder with anticipation. Thought that that was one of his more impressive moments. Um, and I just think in general, uh, a lot of that moving the platform stuff was things that, um, you know, Pickett did during his breakout season at Pitt. You know, you look at he, uh, some of the numbers, uh, you know, he had a 16 to 2 touchdown interception ratio off play action um, at his final season at Pitt. So I think that that could potentially be something look at, worth looking into. I mean, we're at a small sample size right now, only about 10 plays of play action to even look at. Um, the problem with, um, everything involving play action really with this offense though, is, uh, the under center stuff, which is typically when you're going to utilize play action more, um, 
you know, it's just so disjointed. Uh, every time they try to do it um, from under center, it just looks like the concepts just make absolutely no sense. They're not putting linebackers in conflict, uh, not utilizing the middle of the field. Um, and that that takes away a big portion of what, you know, teams use to kind of boost their quarterback's efficiency. Um, you know, and I think it's definitely something to to look at. But, you know, Nick Faribault from Steelers now, um, reporter, he asked Matt Canada about it this week, and it didn't seem like Canada was too thrilled about potentially leaning into more play action. So I don't know if we'll, we can really expect to see too much more of it this uh, this week against the Raiders. Well, right. How much of it, uh, the lack of success or the lack of usage of play action might just be dictated by the fact that the run game isn't that effective. So the defenses aren't honoring that. And thus, you still just have to make a play out of the passing game. Do you think the passing game is just going to have to have a little bit of a breakout eventually in order to uh open up the run game if you will maybe it's going to be in reverse there yeah i mean i think uh you know the analytics nerds if you will and i'm pro analytics so i say that with a, a friendly jab but um you know analytics will tell you you know you don't necessarily need to be a dominant run team to you know utilize play action uh the linebackers typically will honor that stuff um and you could be really efficient throwing the football regardless even if you're not great um, on the ground, but having a good run game does certainly help. Uh, obviously, there's no if you got Adrian Peterson back there, you know, and your play action to him, it's a little bit different than your if your play action to a backup. You know what I'm saying? The, just from a game planning uh, standpoint, mm-hmm. guys are going to flow a little harder. But um, you know, the Steelers' run issues in the run game could also be, uh, you know, there could be a vice versa kind of effect there. If there is a little bit of a threat of play action. Uh, and every time the Steelers get under center, they're not running the football. That could also help open up the run game. So there's kind of a give and take on both sides. Um, you know, that's one of the problems with the Steelers at the moment. Um, and this has really been throughout Matt Canada's kind of tenure with the Steelers. Whenever they're under center, they pretty much exclusively run the ball because they don't have a play action game. You know, it's not the 90s where, you know, quarterbacks are taking traditional three, five, seven step drops from under center without using play action. You just really don't see that anymore. Like the only quarterbacks in the NFL that like that kind of stuff now are like Kirk Cousins occasionally. You'll see him do it. But um, so every time they're under center, like defenses are key in run, run, run. They're not really worried about the pass. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of schematic things that I think go into it that could potentially help this offense break out. But it, again, there is an execution factor too. like the offensive line is getting absolutely whooped right now. And that's something that absolutely has to change on Sunday night if they want to come away with a win. One last thought on Pickett before we move on to the specific matchups against the Raiders here on Sunday. But he strikes me as a guy who looks like he's playing tight right now. So um, is it more a, a case of where he's just got to find a way to, to get into the flow of these games, whether it is by play design or by, by something else that he's doing? Because he strikes me as the type of player, well, we've always talked about the fact that he escapes the pocket well, but sometimes does it too much. Um, is there a happy medium there for him, though, like with, changing the place where he's throwing the ball from just by a couple of yards. Could that be a long-term solution um, to, uh, to get him more of in a flow state as opposed to trying to use the left side of his brain a little bit too much out there and, and, uh, and being too mechanical, too robotic uh, too in his own head, I suppose. Yeah, I think it, it's tough, right? Cause they've done some things early in the games, you know, some quick throws, things like that, that I think are trying to get him in a little bit of a rhythm, but you know, when you, when you throw interceptions on your first and second drive in the first couple of games, like it's going to do a little bit uh, of a number in terms of like, 
preventing you from getting into that really good rhythm, right? Uh, he hasn't started games uh, well, and then, you know, he hasn't played well after those mistakes either. So, um, and that's part of playing quarterback, and that's part of being an offensive coordinator is, being, is knowing what buttons to push to get your um, quarterback really comfortable. I do think that maybe utilizing his legs a little bit, uh, getting him out on the perimeter for some easy throws could potentially help. Um, you know, but even then, like last, you know, when they played the Browns on Monday night, you know, they came out, I think it was halftime. They ran that kind of boot action keeper to the right side of the field. And then he inexplicably threw it right to a Browns defender. Luckily, the the guy mm-hmm. dropped it. Uh, but just some of the decision making stuff just really doesn't make any sense to me, because I thought, generally speaking, that was a strength of his uh, down kind of the second half of the his rookie season. Um, so I'm not really sure what it is to like what they can really do to get him comfortable. Um, but I think one of the things that could potentially help is, you know, facing this Raiders defense that doesn't have as much, you know, star power or just like overall consistency throughout the full 11 defensive players, um, compared to the Browns or, you know, even especially the Niners. Uh, This is a less talented Raiders team that they're going to be facing. So hopefully, you know, if they can get in a little bit of a rhythm early, you know, we might see a little bit of a breakout game. Yeah, let's get into the Raiders and uh, another one-on-one team. They came back at Denver in week one, lost to the Bills in week two, and uh, didn't look very good in losing to Buffalo. Uh, That happens. Uh, the, The Bills are a good squad, but uh, the Raiders technically tied for first place, though, in the uh, AFC West as they get set to welcome the Steelers. And for the third straight week, Derek, the Steelers will be facing a stud in terms of rushing the passer. Max Crosby's proven to be a menacing figure now in his fifth NFL season out of Eastern Michigan University. You don't often hear about the Eagles getting uh, play at the highest level, but uh, Crosby's come out of there and uh, he's done quite well for himself, even if he's maybe not a household name. He's probably been as effective as almost anybody um, off the edge. He's got 10 pressures and a sack through two games. So you've got uh, Chooks Okorafor and whoever else going to have to be aware of what he's doing. Do you anticipate him being uh, as disruptive of a force as uh, we've seen in these first two games for the Steelers in terms of guys who have gotten in the backfield? Um, We talked about Bosa, maybe not dominant in game one, but uh, well, clearly, was a difference maker in a lot of ways for the Niners. And I know there was a lot of controversy about how well Miles Garrett did uh, in week two in comparison to TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith on the Steelers side, but it was still a guy you had to game plan for. So um, how do you see this matchup going with, an, again, a, a big time rusher on the other side of the football? Yeah, just, I mean, a little bit about Crosby, man. Crosby is probably one of my favorite defensive players to watch in the league. I, I think that he's just absolutely fantastic you know not just as a pass rusher but as a run defender as well um elite athlete elite get off uh really good hand usage for a pass rusher um he presents a lot of problems because he can win on the outside shoulder he has a set of counters can win on the inside um he can win pretty much any even the even his one sack i wouldn't call him uh like a overly powerful guy even though he has decent length Um, His one sack this year was off a bull rush. So, like, he can beat you in so many different ways. Uh, You know, Okorafor is going to have his hands kind of uh, full on on Sunday night because he lines up pretty much on that side of the field almost exclusively. Um, But I think you do have to feel pretty good about the Steelers' game plan for, you know, how they scheme around some of these – 
elite pass rushers. You know, you mentioned Bosa and Miles Garrett. Both of those guys had really flashy moments whenever they were left one on one, but the Steelers just didn't give them that many opportunities. And that's that's kind of the game plan. You know, you're going to give them a lot of help with tight ends and running backs. And, you know, there's there's disadvantages to that, too. You know, not getting as many people out in the route is less, you know, people for those guys that defend in the secondary. So there's disadvantages, but you got to do what you got to do. And I think that, you know, the Steelers are going to provide a similar blueprint uh, and kind of continue to follow that with Max Crosby. They're going to try to, you know, give a core for as much help as possible. The Steelers really need to do a better job. We said this last week on the show, but they didn't do it. They really need to do a better job staying out of third and longs. Uh, we mentioned the lack of success running the football. That helped, That definitely hurts that. Um, but if you continuously get in these uh, you know, third and eights, third and nines against Crosby to where they're going to scheme up you know, some five-man pressures to where you're going to have to leave a core for one-on-one or you're going to have to leave six, seven guys in protection – that's going to end very poorly. You don't want to let him completely just wreck the game plan. How about the uh, the Raiders' offense against the Steelers' defense? Like I said at the top, Steelers' D uh, did everything that was asked and more, of course, scoring a couple of touchdowns. That's not going to happen Definitely. every week. But uh, they were primetime ready, I suppose you could say, against the Browns. And now they get another chance on a national stage against the Raiders. Jimmy Garoppolo's in charge of that offense now, in case you haven't been keeping track of that, uh, but rushing the ball, Josh Jacobs off to a slow start. He's averaged about four and a half yards per rush over the course of his career. So far this season, though, Derek, he's right around two. So what do you think is going on there? And are, are the Raiders dangerous enough, consistently enough, to give the Steelers a real test on that side of the ball? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because the Steelers' run defense has really struggled through two weeks. It's probably been the biggest blemish um, on that side of the football. And, you know, Jacobs, we mentioned both teams are really struggling to run the ball. It's it's weird to me how it doesn't look like anything that the Raiders are doing schematically that's different from last year. Um, in my film study, you know, they're, they're using a lot of um, – a lot of fullback, a lot of two-back sets. They like their uh, their 12 personnel. Uh, they like to bring a lot of bodies to the party. But honestly, they just – they're not – kind of similar things that I'm seeing with the Steelers. They're not winning up front at all. And I also think that Josh Jacobs, to me, looks a little bit sluggish. You know, he had the contract dispute. Um, I'm it to me, it looks like he's still kind of working his way into game shape. Um, but you know, the numbers for Jacobs are absolutely horrendous. I mean, he's got 28 carries on the season for 46 yards. He's averaging 1.6 yards per carry. I mean, that's just absolutely awful. Uh, but one of the ways that I think is kind of changing, and I think it has more to do with Jimmy G than anything else is, um, the Raiders are seeing a higher rate of, uh, you know, middle field close coverage. So they're they're seeing a lot of safeties roll down towards the box um, instead of last year where, you know, Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, that connection, uh, they were seeing a lot of too high stuff. Well, that's going to be easier to run the football against. That's what offensive coordinators want to do. You see too high, you run the football. Um, well, now it seems like defenses are key in the run a little bit more. That could be a response to Jacobs season last year, but I actually think it's probably more to do with the fact that Jimmy G refuses to throw the ball deep, especially down the sideline. Um, and until he hits some deep shots, whether that's to Adams or Trey Tucker, Jacoby Myers, whoever, um, I think that teams are going to be very comfortable living in that world with just the middle field safety and trusting the corners on the outside until Jimmy G proves that he could beat them. What do you think is up with the Steelers' run defense? We've seen Christian McCaffrey go for 152 in the opener, including a 65-yard touchdown. 
And then Jerome Ford, after the grotesque injury to Nick Chubb last week, by the way, Chubb was averaging over six yards per carry uh, on 10 attempts before uh, the Minka Fitzpatrick low hit sent him out for the season. Then Jerome Ford, 106 yards on 16 carries, a 69-yard run for him. Uh, no touchdowns for the Browns um, from either of those top two runners, but uh, at the same time, the Steelers were getting gashed, even though they did a pretty good job of keeping the Browns out of the end zone and uh, off the scoreboard enough to win the game. So uh, we're seeing some uh, secondary issues, it looks like, some players uh, on the other side, some rushers breaking contain um, from the Steelers' defensive backs, just not being able to, to pin these guys to one side of the field or the other. That's what I see through uh, my layman's glasses here. What are you seeing um, from your expert lens? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think – uh, the number one thing, man, is explosive runs um, allowed is just an absolute killer. It's just one of the things that will drive coaches absolutely insane, and for good reason. I mean, I think that you look at the uh, issues in the run game, you know, the Christian McCaffrey run in week one, and then you even look at uh, last week's Jerome Ford run. Really, Levi Wallace was probably the most at fault for both of those. Um, he misses a tackle on McCaffrey in week one. Week two, he loses contain on that cutback, allowing Ford to go up the left sideline for however many yards that was, 70 yards or whatever. Um, so, you know, corners not being good in run support, that's a big issue. Not tackling well in space, that's a big issue. Um, I also thought that there was a couple times in the first two weeks where the linebackers, um, you know, they didn't necessarily make the defensive lineman right. So they're jumping into the wrong gap. You got multiple guys in the same gap, allowing for easy cutback lanes, uh, things of that nature. And then there's obviously, you know, the fact that they're missing Cam Hayward. I mean, one of the absolute best run defenders in the league over the last, you know, decade or however long. And, you know, that guy has been one of the most effective guys at the point of attack facing double teams. And his just ability to hold the point of attack, generate, you know, uh, penetration into the backfield uh, is something that they're not going to be able to replace with just one person or really with this group in general. It's something that you're going to have to just kind of deal with and try to, you know, neutralize as much as possible until he's able to make his return. So I think it's a lot of different factors. But for me, um, you know, it, it's one thing to struggle against the run or, you know, you, you're allowing teams to kind of grind you down or whatever. At least you're competing but I think that the explosive run aspect of it is something that they absolutely have to get a bit better handle on uh, moving forward, starting on Sunday night. Okay, let's go to fourth down here. The third phase of uh, the football game last week, pretty good for the Steelers, most particularly the guys who kicked the ball. We're going to leave uh, Gunnar Olszewski's weird toe tap on the sideline uh, out of this one because what more can we say about that? But Chris Boswell, I said at the top of the show, 250-yard plus field goals so hopefully he's on track to erasing uh, some of that uh, negative mojo from uh, last week Mike Tomlin can say mojo so I'll say mojo as well in uh, in a positive way this time around also Presley Harvin the third um, struggled in week one for the most part he had a couple of decent punts there um, the standard's been low for him though um, at least in terms of what we've been used to seeing from him as he's in his now third season in the NFL, we expected a lot from him. The, the Ray Guy winner unanimously voted um, in Division One NCAA. Uh, can maybe now, finally, he's accessing some of that potential. He had four punts downed um, against the Browns inside the 10-yard line. Forget the 20. He had four inside the 10. Some of that's good fortune. Some of that's good luck. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we're seeing some flashes here. So uh, what do you think is more important, though, in terms of uh, what the Steelers can do this year? 
Is it uh, having an actual competent or maybe even above average punter? Or is it getting uh, Chris Boswell back to that? Well, you can call it Pro Bowl form that he was in for several seasons in his career. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, both are probably equally important, but I think a good punting game is probably, uh, you know, that was huge on Monday night just because of how bad the Steelers offense is. You know, if it continues to be that bad and they're not giving Boz a a ton of chances to kick field goals, I guess the punter probably will be more important to flip field position, at least uh, to give your defense a chance. But um, yeah, I thought that, you know, both of those guys ended up on, um, you know, my winner's list, uh, the do's and does list, if you will, post game and, um, you know, Boz, two 50-yard field goals in a division game like that, that's, uh, you know, highly contested. I think that deserves praise on its own. But, you know, Harvin, you know, you talked about the expectations. You know, they've been pretty low, but he hasn't even been meeting those. Just the overall inconsistencies of his play through the last couple of seasons have been maddenly frustrating. But, you know, Mike Tomlin, you know, he didn't. I mean, he bluntly called him out uh, in the mm-hmm. in the presser uh, last week, said that, you know, his play was absolutely not good enough. They brought in Brad Wing for a, for a through-the-week tryout. They very much, I feel like, put him on notice and said, like, hey, look, this leash is getting a little shorter. We need we need to see some uh, some success out there. And, you know, Harvin, to his credit, man, he really delivered in a game that the Steelers really needed it. Um, and I always think it's awesome to see, you know, guys respond to that adversity, respond to the criticism, not just from the fan base, but, you know, when your own coach goes in front of the media and kind of lights a fire underneath you. Um, I think Harvin definitely deserves um praise for that you know we'll see if he can generate some consistency and keep this moving forward i have definitely more faith that boz uh, mm-hmm. will you know get back to his self that we're used to more so than harvin but you know you gotta start somewhere man and sunday or monday night was a pretty good start for both of them as far as kickers go they're remarkably um consistent uh, when you look at year over year Uh, Field goal made percentage, for the most part, it it stays the same over the course of a career. Sometimes it can be an extremely long career, uh, like guys like, well, uh, Morton and Gary Anderson, the Andersons, I should put it that way. Jason Hansen as well uh, comes to mind as guys who've been able to kick into their 40s. Boswell has that look or had that look until last year, and then it got a little scary at times with some of those misses. Um, But it's like a golfer or a pitcher. It's all about mechanics. Um, Whether you can handle the pressure, of course, is part of that. But um, a lot of times it is a mechanical glitch that uh, just gets inside your head and uh, becomes a rut. So hopefully Boswell is beyond that. You can take the whole offseason to work on that as a kicker. That's, excuse me, the best part is uh, there's just one part of the job that's uh, that's important. And so you can nail that down and make a really nice career out of it and uh, become a real difference maker or return to being a difference maker for your squad. Derek, I haven't asked you the first two weeks for a prediction. I guess I feel like maybe I should, right? Let's uh, let's get into that prediction game, not to get on the radar of old takes exposed or anything like that, but right. uh, let's put it on the line here. What do you think is going to happen on Sunday night? I'm going to pick the Steelers to win. Uh, this is a game that I feel pretty confident about, mainly just because after watching the Raiders offense um, just on film earlier in the week, I, I feel pretty good about where the Steelers – uh, defense is going to be at. I don't know that Jimmy G is going to be able to hurt him uh, deep enough. And the Raiders' run game has been disastrous. Um, this is kind of a get-right game for either the Steelers' run defense or the Raiders' run game. I, I have a little bit more faith in the Steelers' defense than anything else. But um, to me, I just haven't been overly impressed with Jimmy G. There, there are some good aspects of the Raiders' offense that I'll talk about real quick. 
Uh, they've been a, a excellent in pass protection, so this would be a really good test uh, for Alex Hosmith, TJ Watt, and those guys. Jimmy G's been the least pressure quarterback in the league. Um, they've got some interesting weapons. Obviously, Devontae Adams, guy that you absolutely can't leave single covered. The Steelers pretty much doubled him throughout the game last week, um, but or last year, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it'll be an interesting time. I think the Raiders on defense, obviously, we talked about Max Crosby. Their two safeties, uh, Trayvon Merrick and Marcus Epps, are playing really good football. I'm not overly enthusiastic about the Raiders linebackers, though. I think the Steelers should try to exploit that. Um, I think that they've got some corner issues as well. Uh, Corian Bennett, a rookie, he's playing a lot, shadowing the other team's best receiver. And then Marcus Peters, who I think is um, you know, probably a, a little bit past his prime as well. But there's some matchups I think that really favor the Steelers. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to take advantage of those. I just – I'm nervous about picking the Steelers to beat the Raiders, especially on the road. Uh, but I, like I said at the top, man, I, I'm hopeful that their luck in Vegas is going to be better than it was in Oakland. Luck in Vegas. I see what you did there. And yeah, it is a totally different thing now. I know it is the Raiders. It's the same team, the same uniforms they've had forever. Uh, but um, also <laughs> they're in Nevada now. And uh, this is a totally different atmosphere as well. I expect to see a lot of Steelers fans there. Uh, in Vegas, including a couple members of uh, my extended family who happen to live out that way. I'm sure they'll be oh, twirling yeah. the terrible towel. Uh, as we often see on the road for the Steelers, no one travels better than them in the NFL. And also remember last year, Kenny Pickett, maybe not his finest moment. I'd probably say the win at Baltimore was a highlight or the highlight, but he led that last minute touchdown drive to win the game against uh, against Vegas on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate uh, Reception and just after Franco had passed away. So uh, a lot going on there, and he came through. Maybe seeing that uh, Raiders logo on the helmet will trigger something in him and get him going because Pittsburgh absolutely needs it. Okay, a reminder here as we wrap up the show, visit SteelersNow.com and follow at PGH Steelers. Or Steelers Now, I should say, for all the coverage we've got, both pregame and postgame, of Steelers Raiders. They get together once again, but with a new twist on the 50-plus-year-old rivalry. I'm Matt Geica. That's Derek Bell. We'll talk to you next week on the Steelers Now pregame scout. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.